I'm Martin Green, and you're listening to The Portal. If I were you, I'd stick some headphones on at this point, because, as ever, it's all about the love. Episode 1. How it started. This is a story about Angela, Etheridge, and me. It's about why I needed them, and about how I found them. And it takes in Morris dancing, narcotics, obsessions, both healthy and dangerous, loads of music. It traces a direct connection from some long-forgotten recordings of folk music in the 1940s to a rave in a disused pig-cutting factory in Essex in 1988. Let's start with why I needed them. Like all things, it came in waves. A wave can be described as a disturbance that travels through a medium from one location to another location. Life is full of waves, massive waves of unconsidered emotion at unexpected moments and waves of sound which are invisible, intangible, but yet undeniably real. And waves of behaviour, patterns that fluctuate on a cycle. And if you learn how, those waves are controllable. That's how come you can hear my voice. We've learned to capture them. A wave has a cycle, that's how we measure it. A note, a musical pitch, is determined by how many times a second something vibrates. That's the speed of the cycle. This is A440. That reed just vibrated 440 times in that one second, although actually my is a bit out of tune. But somewhere around 440 times in that second. That's obviously a very fast wave. Waves of behaviour are slower. But if you look from a distance, you can still see pattern. It's 5am, May Day, 1988. And my dad's got me out of bed before dawn to dance in the new season with the Morris dancers on a hill in Cambridgeshire. 3,000 years ago, people lived on that hill. And I found out recently that there have been raves up there. But that morning, it was pretty sparsely populated. Six dance, two play music, plus the fool and the top. The top is like a mascot for the Morris team. And for anyone that doesn't know that word, it just means ram. The top in my dad's team was a puppet head on a pole. It's actually made from a squeegee mop, so its mouth would open and close. I've always hated it. Furry face. Once white, it was now filthy grey. With a crooked mouth, lines of stitching where its eyes should be, and no body, just sackcloth hanging down from under the head that enveloped the person holding it. The tallest dancer in the team would dance as the top. Six foot of man, four foot of beast. That's ten foot of top towering over me. It's just a man in a costume, my mum would say. Aye, but so are the Ku Klux. We don't need to be told what to fear. But she's right. I'm nine years old now. I shouldn't be scared of the top anymore. It's just a man in a costume. At least when I'm awake. And that was the first day I asked myself, but how could I be sure I am awake? That morning, the shouts of men, bleary-eyed and pushing through the hour to present enthusiasm to each other for the task in hand. 
They rolled a beer keg up the hill. It was 5.30am when they opened it. The beer holds no interest in the nine-year-old me, so I wander away to throw lumps of chalk at the sides of the small Bronze Age quarry, enjoying the clouds of explosive dust in the misty air. I threw so much chalk at the wall of that quarry, for a moment I couldn't see anything else but a beautiful white cloud suspended in the mist. That much I feel I can guarantee you. Those are finite, graspable memories. What comes next is hard to know. Like overworked clay, I've revisited these thoughts too many times, and each time they lose a little form. They slip further and further into the dream realm. But as I think it happened, or didn't happen, it goes like this. The dust clears like I can see movement all around me. Faceless figures move in chaotic unison. There's something wonderful about that. These people move as one, yet each in their own way. A place where faces mean nothing. No words greet me but I feel immediately welcome, at ease. Their dancing is a wild ecstasy of movement, so far from the rigidity of the morals. This has some other flavor of togetherness. There is something thrilling about engaging with others in a unified act. The dance is like water, like trees, just a state of existence, with a beginning far beyond my understanding and an end I had no wish to search for. I know it will be okay to join them and I allow my body to loosen in readiness to dance. My eyes fall to my feet, to a pair of Velcro Gola trainers. I feel for the first time free enough to give myself over entirely to the experience to join this herd. But when I look up, sackcloth at my face, the tuck, six foot of man, four foot of beast, ten foot of tuck towering over me. How does a creature with no eyes stare? Crooked stitched mouth seems to be smiling at me. The herd begins to dissolve into the chalk cloud air, and I rush to be with them. But the tuck blocks my path. There seems no way round it. The herd mere vapour trails now. I try to outstare the eyeless face, and the tuck steps forward. I run. I run out of the pit, chest burn and nausea, tripping and scraping as I go through brambles and head-high nettles. Blood and mud splatter my Morris whites and the sting of nettles burns my cheeks. I run back to the Morris dancers, to my dad. And the top has stood over me ever since. It has invaded my dreams every sober night of my life since May the 1st, 1988. Its power seems to come from keeping me on my own. The more I am alone, the stronger it is. And for a long time, I let it. I even preferred it. It was more comfortable alone with the tuck. I didn't tell anyone. 
till 2017. So what do you do? What do you do if you're haunted? What do you do if you can't get rid of something? What do you do if something comes back to you and comes back to you and comes back to you? Well, what can you do? You can either take action or you can live in inaction and live as a choice between inaction and action. Well, you've just got to do something and eventually I did something. And I read every book that I could find and I looked up Tucks and I looked up Rams and I looked up Morris Dancing and I spent my life looking at the 1st of May and trying to work out what had happened, why did it happen and why wouldn't it stop? Well, if you look at enough books, eventually you're going to come across something that might be useful to you. And I did. In 2016, I'd been in the British Library, again, looking at various works by Cecil Sharp and Francis Child and people that I thought might have found something that might be useful to this quest. On my way out, I went to the bookshop. Well, why wouldn't you? I found a book called A Thousand Years of Dance by G.E. McCaskill, assisted by Angela Dixon. It was in one of those wire baskets that you get bargain shoes in. It had been variously priced at 16 99 $9.99, $3.99, and by the time I bought it, I got it for a quid. It seems books on traditional dancing aren't as popular as one might imagine. I picked it up for my dad, really. But it never got that far. I looked at it on the train... I'll never go across that mile of track at Darlington again without thinking of that moment. In that book, I found a photograph that made my stomach clench and my teeth ache. There in those pages was the tuck. Not any tuck, I've seen thousands of tucks. The tuck. My tuck. Direct from my nightmare. The photo is credited to George Etheridge McCaskill. 1941 that was the first document so much of this hinges on documents all sorts of documents notebooks, cassette tapes, wire tapes wax cylinders, scrawled notes in margins documenting was what Angela and Etheridge did and that's what this story is about it isn't about me it's about Etheridge and Angela and it's a story I don't really want to tell you and I wouldn't have told you but Angela wants me to tell you I don't think Etheridge would want anyone to hear this story. To deliver the Here's 1954 Etheridge. Cecil Sharp Memorial Lecture, Dr. G. E. McCaskill. We may never know what causes people's desire to gather in groups to dance, but this much is clear. Customs revolve around traditions often associated with times of year. The 1st of May, for example. The changing of the seasons was of particular importance... I think it's fair to say he's not the guy that's going to start the conga. But I have come to respect Etheridge. He was kind of brilliant in a deeply uncool sort of way. This is from 1973 from the BBC's short-lived arts programme, Le Louvre. Jazz fans will recognise the theme as the track of the same name by French guitarist Jean Chapeau-Chien. Le Louvre. George Etheridge McCaskill had an interesting life. Born in 1920, the son of Right Honourable Sir Henry McCaskill, a judge and liberal peer, and Dorothy McCaskill Nayetridge, herself a remarkable collector of folk music. The young George was sent to Harrow following the death of his father, only to be expelled a year later. From the age of 14, he was homeschooled by his mother Dorothy and referred to himself only by her maiden name. He went on to have a By the time I go looking for Etheridge, he's long dead. But the publisher of that book tells me Angela is still alive. 
So I do a bit of research about Angela Dixon, which is a name I kind of knew, but I didn't know anything about her. For a brief time, Angela was a cult figure, academic turned artist, and a brilliant mind. So I do something I haven't done for a long time, and I wrote a letter to a stranger. It seemed so magical and precarious that this physical object was going to make its way from Scotland to Angela Dixon's flat. Somehow so much more magical and precarious than texting. The response came back by text. Heavy on the emojis for a 90-year-old. Come and meet me if you want. Record player, record player, headphones, sushi. So I get on a train uh, and go to Reddit. You've only got one channel of pats in mono. You have to press the I will happily right confess button. I am utterly in awe of Angela. Here's your lugs. It's all about the lugs. This is a woman that taught George Martin how to make tape loops. She was the first person to put an entirely sonic exhibition in the Museum of Modern Art in New York. There are rumours she snogged Hendrix in a loading bay at the Albert Hall. And it turns out she's a bit of a ratch. I've modded my hearing aid and I can hear a bat piss in Bradford now, so you may as well speak up. So, what do you want to talk about? For the first half hour, I, I just spouted nervous, sycophantic nonsense at her. But she was keen to get to the point. I shall be dead for a very long time and alive for considerably less, so if we get to the nature of your interest quickly... That might be good for the both of us. The top. I, I want to know about the top. I've got a problem. I think maybe you could help me with it. The top? Yeah, the ram's head thing from the Morris dance. You know the thing I mean? Like the photo in, in your book here? Yeah? yeah, I know the thing. Etridge did some work around it. <laughs> I've got a problem. I have these dreams about it. <laughs> I think that thing killed it. Just of May 1970, Headington Quarry, Oxfordshire. We see six plus the fool dancing in standard formation, very much in the style of... The Angela, I'm recording this version of The Cuckoo's Nest. You said you liked it, but I... I think it's a variation on them. I'll be honest. Angela, I just wanted to speak to you. I, I feel I'm, I... I'm seeing it a lot. I see it so much that... When, when you were here, I, I just... don't think I've got much more in me. This wretched beast is going to get the better of me. Thanks for listening to episode one of The Portal. And hot damn... I don't mind telling you that I am intrigued. The portal will remain free to listen to, but if you would like to support the project, the single biggest, most useful, wonderful thing that you can do for us is to recommend this to someone else. Right now. I would do it right now. 
before this lovely moment passes and while I'm still wittering away with the credits, which go on for ages. The Portal was directed by Wills Wilson. Etheridge was played by Dylan Reed. Angela was played by Alison Peebles. MG was played by Martin Green. And the TV presenter was Owen Whitelaw. Recorded by Louis Blatherwick. Mixed by Callum Malcolm with Cameron Malcolm. Music and script by Martin Green, featuring the utterly beautiful canoe playing of Yasmin Najmedin. The music of Jean Chapeau-Chien was written and performed by the equally beautiful Adrian Utley. You heard recordings of Devil's Dyke Morris dancing in the dawn on Wanderbury Hill in Cambridgeshire, which they still do, and you should go and see. And also the incredible Boss Morris, and huge thanks to both those teams for their help in this project. Produced by Martin Atkinson for Leapers Productions. The executive producer was Polly Thomas. The portal was commissioned and presented with Edinburgh International Festival, South Bank Centre, Oxford Contemporary Music, National Theatre of Scotland, Shetland Arts, The North Wall, the Bristol Music Trust and the soon-to-be-renamed Colston Hall, Mac Arts Gala Shields, and was funded by Creative Scotland. <laughs>